How many of you have heard of an intervention? Does everybody know what, a, what an intervention is? Um, it's when family and friends come together to confront someone who is struggling in, in one area of their life. Usually it's with an addiction. Uh, it could be alcohol or drugs or gambling or uh, pornography. It can be anything that is self-destructive, that is destroying that life. And those, those family and, they, and friends, they come together to confront uh, their loved one. They can't stand by and watch them destroy themselves any longer. So they gather around and, and they, uh, they call it an intervention. Uh, and they, be, they want that intervention to be a catalyst for a life change. Okay? I don't know if any of you have ever been involved in one. Uh, I had a friend of mine that was involved in one and, and it had a profound effect, a profound effect on him. I looked at some synonyms for intervention, and they are uh, to interfere, to get involved, to intrude. And this is what these loved ones do. They, they get involved. They, they, they get in the middle of someone's life because they love them. And they see that they're destroying their life. And as I thought about these things, I, I realized that this is one thing that, that God is doing. Uh, it's one thing that He's doing. God is, is uh, instrumenting a, a cosmic intervention, a cosmic intervention. Intervention, Because you and I, uh, sad to say, and all of the human race, we're hooked on this thing called sin. We're addicted to it. And God has uh, decided to in intervene and to interfere and to get involved. You know John 3.16, for God so loved the world, what? Exactly. It's in love that God intervenes. You remember... When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, you remember the very first thing they did, they went looking for God. They wanted to find God. They had to find Him immediately. They, they, they had to go get God. Was that what happened in the garden? Anybody remember what really happened in the garden? They went and hid in the bushes, right? It was uh, our beautiful God that came looking for them. I, I'll never forget, I, I shared with the morning congregation, I can remember I was a brand new convert and I was reading probably through the Bible for the first time and, and, and I saw that. God came after us. That's a beautiful truth. You know, Romans uh, chapter 3 tells us the truth about ourselves. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who what? Does anybody know? There is none who seeks for God. This is the Word of God. So Adam and Eve weren't looking for God. In fact, they were hiding in the bushes. But God purposed to do an intervention in the life of mankind. And He comes in love. He comes in love. And I love that the Bible reveals that that's the, the personality of God. He, he gets involved. He's an intruding God. He's an interfering God. And He comes to get us off our addiction, our self-destructive addiction of sin. I've shared this with you before. I had a friend in college uh, who worked with racing dogs. You guys ever been to the racetrack and seen these dogs? And, and uh, maybe you saw them on TV, maybe, Derek. Uh, but... Uh, these dogs, you know how they get them to run? You know how they get these dogs to run? They have a mechanical rabbit going around the track, right? His name's Rusty. And uh, the thing with Rusty is Rusty's a lie. He's just a lie. But these dogs think he's real. These dogs think that uh, if they could catch that, that mechanical rabbit, that he would satisfy them. And I always thought this is the perfect illustration of, of man chasing after sin, right? It's the perfect illustration. Because... Every sin is a lie. Every sin is offering you satisfaction and every sin will disappoint if you ever catch it. My friend told me if a dog ever caught the, the mechanical rabbit, if there was a, uh, some kind of 
malfunction and the dog caught the rabbit, he was ruined. He would never run again. He knows better. You're supposed to know better too. If you call yourself a Christian tonight, you're not supposed to be chasing those lies anymore. God has done an intervention in our heart. I've always loved that illustration. Every time I talk about sin, and uh, I always see, it seems like I always end up back at Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. Let me read it for you. Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and shudder. My people have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I've shared with you before John Piper's definition of sin. I think it's one of the best I've ever heard. First he says, sin is sacrilege, but it's also suicide. Do you know this? Do you know that every time you start to pursue sin, that's an act of suicide? I think that's, that's very apt. Piper goes on to say, Sin is the suicidal exchange of the infinite value and beauty of God for some fleeting, inferior, sugar-coated substitute. I love that definition of sin. It's so, it's so perfect. So God is out to stage an intervention in our lives to get us off this suicidal and self-destructive addiction that we're on called sin. He's off to get us off whatever lie it is we're chasing. And no doubt, probably some of us in here are actively chasing a lie tonight. And I'm going to challenge you, as we get close to the end of the service, I'm going to challenge you to stop chasing that lie. I'm going to challenge you to drive a stake in the ground tonight and not chase that lie anymore. Not chase it anymore. As we've been seeing in 1 John, John is combating the, the false teachers of the first century. They've been saying you can be a Christian and not be righteous. You can be a Christian and live like the world. You can be a Christian and sin with impunity. This is what's been going on in the first century church. And John has written this letter to combat that. God has directed John to write this letter. The false teachers were, were teaching that it doesn't really matter how you live. It's just if you say the right things, if, if you show up for church and, and you parrot the right things. It doesn't really matter how you live. It's exactly what they were teaching. And Paul is fighting this. You know, it's uh, not a lot different than a lot of what goes on in much of the modern church. It's a no repentance, no obedience, no holiness, no righteousness gospel. Paul was fighting it in the first century as uh, faithful pastors will fight it even in our century. It is a false gospel. We're going to be putting a, a new book on the table. This is a very old copy. I bought this back in, back in the 80s. I read it in one day. I sat down and I started reading this. I couldn't stop reading it. This is John MacArthur's book called uh, The Gospel According to Jesus. And it gives a, a true picture of, of the call to the Christian. It's a very biblical look at what the gospel is supposed to look like in the life of a Christian. I love this book. And we're going to put it on the table. And they should be here next week. So uh, be sure to, if you struggle with understanding what the biblical account is with respect to how a Christian is to live and how a Christian is to pursue God, please pick it up. It's a great book. But in the, in the forward of this book, uh, a great American theologian, pastor, and, and preacher, his name's James Boyce, he wrote the forward and he says this, this false gospel that's so prevalent in the modern church, he says it's a tragic error. This no holiness, no repentance, no obedience, no righteousness gospel. He says it's a tragic error. And then he goes on and says this. It is the idea, and wherever did it come from, that one can be a Christian and not follow Christ. You probably know people who will tell you to your face that they're a Christian. But you couldn't tell it by the way they live. 
God says that's not Christianity at all. In fact, James Boyce goes on to call that reductionist Christianity. And I love that phrase. Reductionist Christianity. And God has been busy in 1 John challenging us not to be reductionist Christians. He expects us to, to walk in the light. And I'm just going to give you the litany. I gave you it last week. I'm going to give it to you again. I want to make sure that we don't leave 1 John and not understand the clear message of God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, Christians are to practice the truth. 1-7, we're to walk in the light. 2-3, we're to keep Christ's commandments. 2-5, we're to keep the Word of God. 2-6, we're to walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. 2-14, uh, we're to have the Word of God abiding in us. 2.28, we're to abide in Him. 2.29, we are to practice righteousness. Could God be any clearer? Not to me, anyway. Not to me. And tonight, He's going to say it again. <laughs> you say, Jim, I don't need to hear that anymore. Well, apparently God thinks we need to hear it because He's going to say it one more time. And He's going to say it with such force and such clarity that we can't help but get the message. This is an exclamation point on everything He said thus far. The Christian is to live righteously. You're going to see it in the text. And you heard Jamie, you heard Jamie read it. I won't reread the text. I won't reread it, but please be looking at it as we go down through it. It's not too difficult to understand what this text is about. Ten times in seven verses, the word sin or sinned occurs. Okay? Also, three additional times is the word lawlessness and not practicing righteousness. I told the morning congregation, you don't have to be a Ph.D. to understand this text. You have to be a Ph.D. to mess it up. You know, I think your average four-year-old can understand what this text is saying. Um, it's very, very clear. This is unequivocal, unambiguous language. God is saying to us as clearly as it can be said in human language that true Christians practice righteousness. They do not practice sin. He can't say it any clearer than this. And as I said to you last week, and I love this word, if we are, if we are in Christ, if we are born again, uh, our, uh, our righteousness will be conspicuous. I love that word. I love that word. It will be conspicuous in our life and in our orbit. God says everywhere throughout the Scripture, everywhere throughout the Scripture, that doing confirms being. Doing confirms being. It's important what you say, obviously. It's infinitely more important how you live. This is the Word of God. This is what God calls us to. Look at verse 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. Why do Christians seek to keep Christ's command, commandments? Is it because we should or we ought to? Yes, we should and we ought to. But isn't there something a little deeper than that? It's because we love Him. John 14, Jesus said, if you love Me, what? If you love Me, you'll keep my commandments. What does Romans 1 say about the natural man, the, the man who's outside of Christ, the unregenerate man? What does Romans say? Romans 1 says, God tells us in Romans 1 that that man is a hater of God. Now, have you ever met anybody that admitted they hated God? I don't know that I've ever met anyone personally that, I mean, I've heard guys, I've watched guys on TV and, you know, guys that were pretty, uh, pretty bad. Um, 
but I, I, I dare say that less than 1% of the population of the, of the planet would ever say, I hate God. But you know, this is what God says about men and women who are outside of Christ. They're God-haters. I know that's harsh, but that's what God says. This is the, this is the Word of God. But Christians are what? We are God-lovers. How did that happen? We talked about it last week. God has done that miracle in our hearts. We've repented of our sins and we've placed our faith in Christ. And God's done that miracle in our heart. He's taken out that heart of stone. He's put in that heart of flesh. He's put, our, he's put His Spirit in us. We've been, as we talked about last week, I won't, I won't belabor it, but we've been begotten of God. It's not a religious thing to us. It is a heart thing. It's our greatest desire to honor God as we keep His commandments and as we honor Him in our lives. I love, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ as true believers. And as Paul said in Titus 3.5, he says, uh, we are born again by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. I shared with the morning congregation, you know, I've always been religious. I was raised in the church and I've told you this story a lot. And I was a good little boy and I got baptized when I was supposed to when I was eight. It didn't mean anything to me. It meant nothing to me. I was just doing religion. I was doing what was expected of me in a cultural sense. And I can tell you quite honestly, I wouldn't have given you two cents for God. I didn't care about Christ. He meant nothing to me. I was on a church roll, but He meant nothing to me. You could have looked at my life and you could have seen that He meant nothing to me. He didn't. He didn't mean a thing to me. He didn't mean one thing to me. <clears throat> he didn't mean anything to me. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. Let me get back to verse 4. I love what MacArthur says about verse 4. God is not talking about sin as a violation. He's talking about sin as an attitude. I love that. This is the kind. This is what. This is what the. Uh, this is what the Word of God is saying to us. It's an attitude, and I want to make a very important point here to practice this word that's repeated six times in seven verses. You see it to practice. Let me let me just explain this just for a minute. Uh, to practice sin is to live in an unbroken pattern of defiance against God, and God calls it in verse four. He calls it lawlessness. It's an absolute indifference to Him and His law. And again, again, God calls it lawlessness. It's an utter disregard for Him as, as God and His law. It's living your life as if there were no law, and it's living your life as if there were no lawgiver. What did Jesus uh, say to the, the religious men in Matthew chapter 7? You know the famous text. The religious guys came before Jesus, and, he sa and they said, You know, we've done all these miracles in Your name. We've cast out demons in Your name. We're very religious. What did Jesus say to them? I don't know who you are, Depart from me, all of you who practice lawlessness. You know, friend, uh, and this was true of me uh, in my religious background. Man, I was a religious young man, you know. I, I grew up in the church and all that, but I practiced lawlessness. I didn't practice righteousness. I practiced lawlessness. We'll talk a little bit more about what that means to practice lawlessness in just a minute. You guys know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Religion is Satan's best weapon. He's got, he's got literally billions of people bound up in false religion. Deceived. Deceived. Thinking they're something they're not. 
because they're trusting in, in uh, dead traditions and dead religion. I love the language in, this, in, these, in these verses. <clears throat> Look at verse 4. Everyone. Verse 6. No one. Verse 9. No one. Verse 10. Anyone. There are no exceptions and there are no exclusions here. I told the morning congregation, there's no soft, warm, fuzzy, middle a place to be, we're either practicing righteousness or we're practicing lawlessness. There's no place to be in the middle. There's no middle ground. And this text makes it clear. We're either practicing lawlessness or we are practicing righteousness. Jump down to verse 10. I'm going to jump around just a little bit. You know how Paul, I mean, pardon me, how John writes. But uh, let me jump down to verse 10 and sum it up for you. Look what he says. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is what? He's what? He's not of God. And John's still making the same point he was making over in, in chapter 2, verse 4, when he says, the one who says, I've come to know him, but he doesn't keep his commandments, what is he? Does anybody remember? He's a liar. <laughs> oh, John. He doesn't preach pretty, you know. He doesn't preach pretty. He just preaches the truth. He's not trying to win a popularity contest. He's trying to win souls. And uh, he, just, he just says it like it is. And I want to say to you, friend, if you've been lying to yourself about your Christianity, if you, in fact, are engaging in reductionist Christianity, I want to challenge you tonight to, to, to repent from that. And I want to challenge you to come to Christ tonight in earnest, giving your heart to Him. No more dead religion. No more trusting in, in religion. No more reductionist Christianity. That is self-destructive behavior and the Holy Spirit is seeking to do an intervention in your life. No more reductionist Christianity because it will take you to hell. This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. Look at verses 6 and verse 9. No one who abides in Him sins. No one who sins has seen Him or, know, or, or knows Him. Verse 9, No one who is born of God practices sin because His seed abides in Him and He cannot sin because He is born of God. I was telling Adam this weekend, if you, look, if you just took those two verses, this is why I don't take verses out of context, but if, if you just take those two verses out of the context, you just rip them out, you could teach that a Christian should be sinlessly perfect. Right? And there's a, there's a fringe... There's a fringe uh, element that would try to call themselves Christians who will preach uh, sinless perfection. The Bible does not teach that the Christian will ever attain sinless perfection this side of death. This is why we don't pull verses out of context, okay? But the Holy Spirit here is teaching us something. And, 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 and we know that, that it's not sinless perfection. I'm just going to review it real quick. 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He's faithful to cleanse us. 1 John 1, 10, if we say we've not sinned, we make God a liar. 1 John 2, 1, I am writing to you that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We've covered this, but it's so imperative when you study 1 John. God's not talking about sinless perfection, but what He's talking about is that you are in a mortal fight against sin. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian here tonight, you're born again, you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, you understand you're in a war. You are in a war. You remember Paul's great dissertation in Romans chapter 7? And some people want to say, well, that, that's... Uh, that's, that's Paul's pre-conversion experience. I, ha I, have to, 
I have to go along with one commentator I read. He said, I think God knows the difference between past tense verbs and present tense verbs. God uh, is using Paul to write Romans chapter 7. As he writes Romans, he's saying, I am fighting sin now. The verb tenses uh, tell us that very clearly. He's in the midst of a battle. He's in the midst of a battle. God has given the Christian a new nature and we're at war. We still have that sin nature and we have that new nature, that nature of God. We've been, as we said earlier, we've been begotten of God. Let me talk a little bit more about that word practice. I mentioned, mentioned it to you earlier. Again, it's six times in, in, in uh, seven verses. Let me tell you what it means uh, biblically. Let me give you the definition. To practice means to habitually, to customarily, to perform repeatedly. It means that it is your manner, it is your way, it is your custom. It means to constantly and repetitively do a thing. So, let me just cover the verses here. Verse 4, everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness. Verse 7, the one who practices righteousness is righteous. Verse 8, the one who practices sin is of the devil. Verse 9, no one who is born of God practices sin. Verse 10, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. This is unmistakable in the text. He's not talking about sinless perfection. He's talking about a lifestyle of practicing sin, which is an unbroken pattern of defiance against God and His Word. And John's very clear, the true Christian does not engage in that. The true Christian will sin. He will sin. But he does not practice sin. He does not practice sin. I like what verse 9 says. No one born of God practices sin. Why? Tell me. Let's look at it. Let's get somebody. Tell me from the text. Why will someone born of God, uh, no one born of God practice sin? Why? We're born of God. We're born of God, and we have that new nature. We have that new nature. Conversion is turning our defiance into compliance. This is the intervention God is doing in our lives. His Holy Spirit is working in us to turn our defiance into compliance. I can remember when I was a religious man. Oh, you know, I, we had a really sorry preacher. It was a pretty pretty liberal church you know so he never really preached very hard you never got convicted even though you weren't a believer you didn't get convicted very often but every once in a while he'd say something that would cut me to the quick and I hated God's word I hated it because he was always in my business he was always getting in my face and I hated the word of God I hated to hear what God had to say about me <laughs> but then he changed my life and I love the word of God and you guys know, you guys know Psalm 119, right? Over and over and over the psalmist says, I love the Word of God. I treasure the Word of God. I rejoice in the Word of God. I delight in the Word of God. I pursue the Word of God. Listen to Romans 6, 16 and 18. Again, <laughs> there's no place in the middle. Listen to what Paul says. We are slaves to one or the other, he says either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though we were slaves of sin, we became obedient from the heart. There it is right there. Obedient from the heart. Obedient from the heart. 
Yeah, we're going to mess it up and we're going to sin. But the, the, the thrust, as I've been saying to you, and the motivation and the drive of our heart is to honor Him and to obey Him. To love Him. Paul says, to become obedient from the heart. And he continues, freed from sin, becoming slaves to righteousness. The fruit of God's intervention in the lives of His children. To become slaves of righteousness. The Christian has traded his slavery to sin for slavery to righteousness. Don't you love it? Don't you love it? This is the message of the Bible. He still commits sin, but he no longer practices it. Okay? And I always love what Paul said in Romans 7. He says, I find then this principle that is evil is present within me. Uh, pardon me, I butchered that. Let me start over. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. Paul says, I want to do good, but I always don't do good. But it's my heart's desire to practice righteousness. And John is saying this is evidence of true Christianity. If you can sin with impunity, you're not a Christian. You're not. You can say all you want. You can come to church. You can uh, work in the church. You can give a lot of money. You can do all this stuff, but if you can sin with impunity, friend, beloved, I want to say to you, you don't, let, you don't yet know the Lord. David loved God. David loved the Word of God. David wrote the Word of God. David was zealous for God and the things of God. David murdered and David committed adultery. Was David a reductionist believer? I think if we had been there uh, in David's day and we, we knew about his sin and we observed that, I think we, many of us would say, well, he, there's no way he's a Christian. There's no way he's a believer. A believer couldn't commit murder. A believer couldn't commit adultery like that. I think we would have concluded that most likely he was not a believer. But how do we know that David was a believer? How do we know that he was not a reductionist believer? How do we know this? How do we know it? Because God shows us His heart, right? God shows us His heart. And I'm going to turn and read to you from uh, Psalm 38. Just listen. Psalm 38. Here's David's heart when he sins. For my iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. I am bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long, for my loins are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am benumbed and uh, badly crushed. I groan because of the agitation of my heart. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes even has gone from me, for I am ready to fall. And my sorrow is continually before me, for I confess my iniquities. I am full of anxiety because of what? My sin. Because of my sin. When the believer sins, it's, he can feel it in his bones. It's heart and soul misery. It, it costs too much. The Holy, Spirit, the Holy Spirit won't leave us alone. There's too much collateral damage. It's too heavy. We can't sin with impunity anymore. Praise God we can't. 
And David couldn't commit murder and adultery with impunity. He was in misery. And you know what I'm talking about. When you're in sin and unconfessed sin uh, before the Lord, you know that misery I'm talking about. You know that misery I'm talking about. And we know that beautiful thing that David did. Another telltale sign that he was a true believer. He confessed, right? You know, Nathan came and said, you are the man. And what did David do? David melted. David melted and he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And he penned that great psalm, Psalm 51. You know it. I'm going to read just parts of it to you. He cries out to God. He says, Against you, great God, against you only have I sinned. And then he writes, Be gracious to me according to your loving kindness. Wash me, cleanse me, purify me, deliver me, make me to hear joy and gladness. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a new heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from Thy presence and do not take Thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of Thy salvation. There's a true Christian that sinned before the Lord. Restore to me the joy of Thy salvation. And I love this. To sustain within me a willing spirit. I love that. He's crying out to God, forgive me and sustain me as I go forward, as I fight this war. As I fight this war of sin within me. I'm going to close with, some, with a quote and some counsel from John Piper. John Piper says this, It is both a relief and a heartache to know that all true believers are fighting with sin. They still struggle with sin. I think that's a relief probably to most of us. Because if we look in the mirror and we're honest, we know we're sinners, right? We know that. We know that. He says it's a relief and a heartache to know this. But then he goes on, this does not mean that we should become complacent with it. He says you have to fight sin every single day. Every single day. We are commanded to constantly kill the sin that remains in our lives. Romans 3.13 If you are living according to the Spirit, uh, you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And then he continues... This is not optional. This is mortal combat. Either sin dies or we die. And he says, not that we ever become sinless in this life, but we go on killing sin every day. We never settle in and get comfortable with it. Let me ask you, beloved, is there a sin in your life that you've gotten comfortable with? I'm going to ask you tonight to repent. I'm going to ask you tonight to give it to God. Is there, is there a besetting sin in your life that you've become comfortable with, that you put up with? that you rationalize, that you think is okay. Friends, it's not okay. It's a lie. It's a lie. And I'm going to challenge you tonight to give it to the Lord. I'm going to challenge you tonight to, to walk out of here purposing to, to repent of that besetting sin and leave it with God. I'm going to close here again with some pointers from John Piper about fighting sin. These are real good. I'm just going to go through them uh, quickly. He says, reckon yourself dead to your old sin nature. Reckon yourself dead. That's what the Bible says. He says, reckon yourself dead. Then he says, cultivate a hatred for sin. He says, you've got to hate it. He says, when that temptation comes, you've got to hate it. It killed Christ. You've got to hate it. You've got to cultivate a hatred for it. He says, actively cultivate hatred for sin. He says, refuse to be bullied by sin's lies and manipulations. I love that. He says, don't let it bully you around anymore. Refuse to be so bullied. He says, with all your heart, declare radical allegiance to God. You say, well, Jim, I've done that. Do it again. Radical allegiance to God. Declare radical allegiance to God. 
Stay away from those open portals that guide you into sin. You know what I'm talking about. I don't know where you struggle. But stay away from those, those, uh, those areas that cause or bring temptation into your, into your life. He, said, develop, he says, develop mental habits of renewing your mind in a God-centered way. We know what that's talking about, the study of the Scripture and prayer and meditation. He says, admit your failure every day and confess your sin every day. Are you admitting your failure every day before God and confessing it every day? Boy, that's a great habit to get into. Every day, every day, confess it. Every day, ask the Spirit's help and power in your life. Be an active part of a Christian fellowship. Be accountable to others, just like you're doing tonight, just like you do in your Bible studies uh, that you do during the week. Be accountable to others. And then he says, fight your sinful impulses with everything you have. Are you in the fight, friend? Are you fighting the sin in your life? I have three more I want to add to Piper's list. Um, the first one is beat sin today. You know, sometimes I think it's like we, we, we think about, I've been fighting this a, lot of, a long time in my life, and I've got years left in my life to fight this. Don't worry about the future. You fight it today, and you win today. You fight today, and you win today. You don't worry about tomorrow. You fight today and you win today. You fight that sin and you kill it today. It's like I told the morning service, you have to be like an alcoholic. An alcoholic knows if he takes, if he takes one drink, he's done. He's, he's back on a binge. He's back in that abyss. And you and I need to think like this when, with, when we struggle with these besetting sins. You've got to think like an alcoholic. You can't, you can't play with it. You can't touch it. You can't do it. The next thing I want to say to you is expect to win. Expect to win. You know, I've had people say to me, oh, I've been fighting this. I've been fighting this. And it's, there's this whole defeatist attitude. I've been fighting this for years. And they, it's like they, they don't think they can win. I want to say to you, you can win. You know why you can win? Because the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. And you have the power of the Word of God. Think that you can win. Expect to win. Fight with the expectation of winning. Then the last thing I want to say to you is, I want to tell you, and I know you already know this, God's better than that sin. I mean, if you, any, does anybody know that to be true? God's better than that sin. And if you'll, if you'll get on the other side of that sin, if you'll walk through that temptation and not succumb, you get on the other side of that sin, and I promise you the pleasure with God will far outweigh any pleasure you would have had in that sin. But I can get some personal testimonies to that regard. God is better. God is more satisfying. God is more desirable. than whatever sin lie you may be chasing. All right. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you're still practicing lawlessness, I want to invite you to come to Christ. I want to invite you to come to Christ. If you've never truly given your heart and life to Christ, you've never truly repented of your sins, you've never truly placed your faith in Him, I'm going to invite you to do that tonight. You come talk to me after the service. And for the rest of you, you Christians, I'm going to exhort you to kill that besetting sin. Kill it. You kill it. And don't you walk out of here. Don't you walk out of here with a lackadaisical attitude about that sin in your life. You purpose right now, tonight, you're going to drive a stake in the ground. This is it. I'm going to leave this here with God. I'm going to claim the power of God. I'm going to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave this sin here. It's been, it's been on my back for years. I'm not going to do it anymore. And I want you to go out of here. I want you to expect to win. And I want to say one more thing. If you fall, 
again. You get back up and you fight again. You fight some more. And you keep fighting, and you keep fighting, and you keep fighting. You keep praying, you keep praying, you keep submitting to the Holy Spirit. You stay in His Word, you claim the promises of God. You fight that sin in your life, Christian friend. You fight it. We're going to take a few minutes. I just thought it might be good. Um, I don't know where your temptation is. It may be different for every single one of us in this room. I don't know where yours is. But uh, we're going to take a few minutes. We're just going to be still with God. And, and I'm going to challenge you to, as Adam sings, I'm going to challenge you to just do some business with the Lord. If there's sin you need to confess, if there's sin that you need to repent of, if there's sin, a besetting sin that you need to put down, I'm going to challenge you to do that tonight. Right here, tonight. You're not going to walk out of here. You're not going to walk out of here and sin like that anymore. You're going to walk out of here purposing to fight, purposing to win, purposing to practice righteousness for the glory, for the glory of your Savior. Let's take a few minutes.
Father, we love you. We love you. Thank you that you're an intervening God. An interfering God. An intruding God. A God who gets involved. Thank you. We would have no hope. We would have no hope apart from you. Great God, you've come and you've given us your spirit. Lord God, forgive us that we don't appropriate his power so often. Forgive us, great God, of of where we fail you, where we sin sometimes callously. And Father, without considering all that it costs and all that it means, forgive us, O Lord. What an awesome thing. Our God is a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of compassion. And we cry out to you as David did in Psalm 51. Wash us, great God. Cleanse us. Purify us. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, great God, as we lay down sin tonight. The joy of thy salvation. Renew within me a steadfast spirit, a willing spirit, a spirit willing to fight sin, a spirit willing to practice righteousness for the glory of your Son. Lord God, deliver us, we pray. You are holy, and you've called us to be holy. And while we can never be perfectly holy, Father, this is what you've called us to. You've called us to be in the fight, to do battle with sin, to be putting to death the works of the flesh. Great God, convict us. Convict us of our sin. And give us a hunger and a thirst to walk in righteousness, to practice righteousness, to magnify You as we walk in Your words in the world. Great God, help us, we pray. I pray You go with each one in this room tonight. Particularly each one that has genuinely and with all their heart decided that they're going to break a pattern of sin in their life. Lord God, I pray that You give them great power. I, feel, I pray that, you, that they feel Your presence uh, in their life. I pray that each one of us walk out of here with the expectation to beat sin by Your power and by the work of the Spirit of God. Thank You for these few moments we've had together. Beautiful Lord, we praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here Father, Son.